Okay, welcome to 1965 on the Beatles vs. Stones Year by Year podcast. I'm Justin Cox, and I'm here with Ryan Page. Ryan, how's it going? I'm super excited for 1965. What did the Beatles and Rolling Stones put out in 1965? The Beatles put out HELP, all caps, and plus an exclamation point, and Rubber Soul. And the Rolling Stones had a, a couple of different releases, depending on whether you were in America or England, although they are mostly um, comparable. The Rolling Stones number two, Out of Our Heads, a lot of overlapping songs, a UK release and American release. Rolling Stones Now and December's Children, a lot of similar songs. Do you know if these two bands reach a certain moment in, in popularity that that's no longer a thing that's happening or if the industry as a whole, like the, the world changes and basically releases are not different from location to location. I, I honestly don't know the answer and I haven't talked to you about that before, but I was- I think that these two bands uh, just got to such a size that they were able to kind of do whatever they want. And I think the bands themselves got a little tired of um, going back and forth and having these two different distribution pathways. But I don't have any specific insight other than that I did once buy a Smith's edition, uh, an album of the Smiths at Virgin Record Store that had an import uh, sticker on it that, that, that I was super excited about. And that was the only import record that I ever bought when I was like 19. Um, but other, super I, cool. as, as far as the history of the music business and what has changed, I, I'm sure the Beatles probably more than the Rolling Stones at this point were instrumental in, in kind of being the vanguard of changing some of those business pathways. But I couldn't tell you what specifically changed yeah i own a copy of the british office dvd box set that's um european or british uh coded and so i can't watch it on any of my devices <laughs> okay so i interrupted you you were saying something oh i just i just wanted to talk about my strategy for this year um for those of you that listen to the 1964 podcast you heard me go in pretty hard on the beatles and, and trying to really state my case and i am once again in the position of defending the Rolling Stones and arguing for the Rolling Stones. And I have a really, I think, novel strategy um, for 1965. So you, yeah, you want to be real transparent about the disingenuous argument you're going to make for the next half hour. Well, no, no, no. This isn't disingenuous at all. And, and I'm going to be, but I am going to be transparent about the, the argument that I'm going to be making. And what I'm yeah. going to do is, uh, I'm going to curl up in the fetal position and cry because uh, this is fucking bullshit. This isn't fucking fair that I have to sit here <laughs> and argue <laughs> against rubber soul. And I'm not going to do it. If you were to put out of our heads against any other band's record, probably up against 95% of bands, you would be like, that's the, that's the better album. This is a, a monumental album. As you said, it's the turning of a corner for the Rolling Stones. They're really establishing their sound. It's got some of the most famous songs of all time on it. And it just doesn't fucking matter because Rubber Soul is so fucking good. All right, I win. Thank you guys for listening to the, this episode <laughs> of the podcast and uh, enjoy some Rubber Soul. Just kidding. Uh, yeah, no, I feel you on it. I was listening and it's like, you, you listen to, I mean, Help, Help has Yesterday on it. I said something wrong now I love for yesterday. Yesterday. In a year like this though, Help is just a little preface to, to Rubber Soul. Like I have little to say about Help beyond what I just said. Just because Rubber Soul is, it matters so much. It's so, like you said, it's perfect. 
Yeah, I mean, Ticket to Ride, I, w- I would say I would give help credit for having Ticket to Ride more than yesterday. The fact that there's the famous story of Paul McCartney not being able to replace his, his scrambled egg lyrics, I think speaks volumes to how meaningless yesterday actually is, um, to me anyways. Um, but I don't know why I, I really have a grudge against that. But I, Rubber Soul, and we'll get to the Rolling Stones. Um, a nice little fa- a nice little factoid that I realized while listening last night is that Help is is an album and a movie. Yesterday, a track on Help is also now a movie. Whoa! Think about that. My, my mind is blown. Um, in in preparation for this podcast, I realized that I don't as I I've enjoyed Rubber Soul many times. Um, I've, I've always thought really highly of it, but I don't think I ever sat down with a pair of headphones and listened to it. And so when you compare, as you said, these bands are both rounding a corner. The problem is the Beatles are, have such a head start that the corner that they are rounding is insane. It's insane that they could have put out the albums that they've already put out and almost have a linear progression in their improvement yeah a moment a moment that i listened to on um on rubber soul that i'm like so one year earlier they're putting out eight days a week which is i mean it's like we were talking before i mean it's just super catchy right at you radio pop music and then when he sings on girl and he does that like long breath in which i'm sure on those like uh cans like those headphones cupping around your ears you hear like every bit of that it's like man this is a whole different thing like this is this is a guy doing just exactly what he wants to do something that occurred to me listening to that song that i thought is funny or ironic that just the line of is anyone going to listen to my story the fact that the lead singer for the most popular band that has ever existed is asking that question. What do you think, John? You think anyone's going to listen to your story? Bro, people are going to be making podcasts about your story 50 years from now. Yeah, I think, I think uh, you, won't, you, don't, you won't have a problem with that one. Um, but there's, there's so much depth to this album and this is the, the recording. There's so much care. There's so many little details in it. Yeah, let's go there. Let, real quick as we go, let's. How do you want to approach? Since you've waved a wire, a white flag, and um, cowered down in your corner, let's think. Should we? Should we spend some time on Rubber Soul? And then I do want to talk about these Stones ones. So I don't know well, if, definitely. We bounce, I have, if we bounce around in them, or let's let's spend some time dipping through Rubber Soul though. For now. Yeah, I have I have plenty to say about all of it. Um, I'm, I'm still a huge fan of this Rolling Stones album, and I definitely think that they belong in the same uh, breath and the same conversation as, as the Beatles in this year. I just can't, I can't legitimately it's, mount an argument against Rubber Soul. And, until we get to the part in the 70s when the Rolling Stones are making their best albums and the Beatles no longer exist as the Beatles, this is probably about the biggest gap that we're going to find in this podcast series, I'd say. Yeah, I think I, I think you're right. Even compared to to 1964, um, for whatever reason, the gap between Rubber Soul and Hard Day's Night, um, or the past couple albums, Please Please Me, is just so much bigger. And then I think Revolver, that we'll discuss in the next podcast episode, is is a great masterpiece album too. But the gap between that and Rubber Soul is much smaller than the gap between Rubber Soul 
and hard days night to me. We talked about Lennon and that and that and girl, um, an absolute, like in, in paying attention to these albums in this way, while thinking about preparing to talk about them to start a song, like the idea that you're sitting to write some music and you write Michelle, my bell, these are words that go together. Well, it's like, okay, I'm just going to tell you, like I said, Michelle, my bell, those words go together. Well, I'm going to go ahead and make this into a song. It's just a massive Paul McCartney flex. Michelle, my bell, these are words that go together well, my Michelle. I know that's not what he's getting at, but that's what I hear is just like, yep, this will be my song. And I'm gonna just going to dip into some French. It's just going to be effortlessly perfect. I think that you just so perfectly encapsulated the the challenge of being an amateur songwriter where it's like, all right, look at his song, look at my song. What how how is this different? And it's like it just because he's fucking Paul McCartney and you're not. And that's all there <laughs> that, yeah. that's all the not that 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 I'm I'm ragging on Michelle. I just you you try to write something like that in your bedroom and you're like, this is fucking stupid. And the, he pulls it off. And everywhere so, he everywhere he goes with the song, it adds to it. Like when they get when he gets into the French and stuff. It's, it's just so good. I think this might be the best like side A run for an album of any of these Beatles albums to date. Like all the other Beatles albums, they have a couple filler songs or kind of like slow dancey songs uh, and within the first three or four tracks. And to go from Drive My Car to Norwegian Wood to You Won't See Me, Nowhere Man, and think for yourself is okay. Um, that that's just such a bam, 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 bam. But on you won't see me. I, I there's this really cool part, or at least I think it's cool, where there's a, a little hi hat hit that's kind of like throughout the song, and I never really noticed it before. I would have just assumed it was Ringo playing it. But when you listen to the drums, you realize that that's like an added part in. It may be Ringo playing it, but it's another track on the album because the way that Ringo is playing the drums and the beat that he's playing, it, it could not be him. He's hitting the hi-hat in a different way at the same time. And I will lose my mind If you won't see me The, the album is just peppered with those kinds of little textures and details that take the songwriting to a whole nother level. Another appreciative Ringo moment is the the beat on In My Life is is just like a masterclass in like dynamic simplicity. It's the reason like he gets a little bit like, no one's like, oh, he's the best drummer in the world. He's kind of like an, a little bit of an afterthought in the Beatles, unless you're someone who's like a real, real Beatles uh, buff. But it's such a complimentary beat and it's a little herky-jerky and off and there are places i remember all my life though some have changed some forever i find ringo consistently interesting he takes otherwise songs songs that could otherwise just be you know, simple four four beat, and he always adds some kind of interesting wrinkle in there. And so I think Ringo's and, underrated. And in my life is a perfect example of that. I mean, that's just a beautiful melody, uh, just this really good song by John Lennon. But you could really sit back and just give that song a beat and add nothing else, but he really adds to it. 
and and so another another like texture moment that i specifically want to call out because i think i don't know it's cool or it's just different and it, it shows the way that those guys are playing around is on the song wait um i think i had this right i'm not 100 percent sure this is what's happening but there's a there's like a guitar sound that is it to me what it sounds like is it's just someone um turning the volume knob on their guitar like it, it, it's almost just a texture on the song, but it's like someone strumming a note and then like turning the volume off and then turning it back on. So listen, listen to that song, wait, and you'll hear it kind of in, in the chorus of the song where you can just hear this sort of guitar sound fade in. And it, it may even be a studio thing, but I'm pretty sure that's what it is. It's someone using the, the volume knob on their guitar as a way to like change the sound that's coming out of the guitar. And if you do, I'll trust in you And know that you will wait for me But if your heart breaks, don't I know that early albums were all in mono And this feels like the first album where they're really taking advantage of stereo the the sort of harpsichord sounding solo in there that's like super recognizable in the middle of in my in my life is actually george martin playing a piano solo that then is sped up to sound like a harpsichord and the and the popularity of that song and the uniqueness of that sound in the middle of a, a tender song like that like basically triggered a ton of use of the harpsichord in subsequent years even though that song mm -hmm. didn't even feature harpsichord which is cool I mean, there's there's so much trailblazing going on. I mean, Norwegian Wood, you have the um, the sitar from George, which I also, you know, I don't think it's a huge stretch. There's plenty of sitar music to be found uh, post-1965. And I think that song is, is definitely a major inspiration for that. Absolutely. I once had a girl, or should I say, she once had me. What, so what are your standout songs on this, on, on Rubber Soul? You know, it's a funny thing that I, so I'll, I'll say my standout songs in just a second, but a funny thing as I edited the last podcast, and I'll be curious what other people think of it, um, is that you and I, it's clear that you and I are not uh, Harrison heads. <laughs> like you under, <laughs> you understand that he's great, but there's, as I'm editing the podcast, there's so many references to the genius of John and Paul. And I think, and I think that there's a lot of people like there's, it's saying something by omission. Um, and so yeah, I love, yeah, I love George yeah. Harrison. I love like while my guitar gently weeps and, and, like what he's doing what he's bringing to the band even on the songs he doesn't write like you said on Norwegian Wood and I think that he had a lot of influence on the direction of where of the the sound of where they go on this but even as you listed off how perfect side A is of this album you listed off the first four and then you got to think for yourself and said yeah that one's pretty good too and then Move on. Um, I think to say that he adds something to this band is like way massive understatement. I think he adds a huge amount to this band and, but it's just a matter of, you know, this is why we talk about music. It's a matter of like um, sensibility and everything. And 
we both happen to be people that I think are completely enamored with what Paul McCartney and John Lennon do. And so when you get to the songs that are Harrison's alone, or when you get to the solo stuff that is obviously good and obviously the product of a super creative, um, talented person, you don't have to lie to yourself and say that you like it as much as songs by John Lennon and Paul McCartney. If you, if you don't over and over again, you know, well, first of all, I'll just, I'll just add to that, that I think some people you can appreciate as a contributor to a band, but not necessarily like them as like a main songwriter. And yeah. Some you people, already, some pe- you already roasted the hell out of Ringo in the last episode. about. It. <laughs> well, that's more his singing. I mean, I don't know that he wrote those songs. And I also feel like if we haven't talked about George much, it's because he's, you know, he's like 21 at this point, he's not uh, contributing a uh, songs like writing full songs in the same way other than uh the one that we talked about last time don't bother me um but this is a this is a big question and maybe this is too early in the podcast series to ask this but i i feel like it, maybe it's time to like set these flags in the ground which is are you a paul guy or are you a john guy oh i don't know I don't, I don't, do I have to know? Like, I know you don't have time. To. There's been times in my life when I thought I was a Paul guy, but let's see, let's see what my answers are. Let's like make that a recurring question. And maybe we, okay. that's a, that's a decision we, we make in 1974 as we finish this podcast out. I mean, and maybe it maybe, could even be, maybe that could be a sub uh, category, like which of these bands won the year. And then like did John or Paul win the year? Cause I would have said for 64, I would have said Paul definitely won 64 but i think on this album i think john has slightly more better songs yeah uh so my favorites are norwegian wood that's a lennon mm-hmm. um nowhere man lennon michelle girl in my life i'm looking through you i think that's a little lennon heavy lennon is amazing on this album yeah, I think um, my, mine would be Nowhere Man, I'm Looking Through You. I don't know, why is I'm Looking Through You so good? That one is just, I don't know, that's like such a great break, like about to break up song, yeah. which is its own like subgenre of songs. Um, I really like If I Needed Someone, that's one that, that I enjoy a lot. And I, you didn't mention, and I, 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 I sing it, I would say, on a weekly basis. Drive My Car it is just such a like timeless classic to me. I, I am constantly singing that to myself, even when I'm not preparing for a podcast like this. <laughs> I, I love that song. It could suffer from the effect of like putting this album. I, I owned this CD that I bought, picked up at a Borders Books in uh, like the mid-2000s when I was like swooping up on all this music it might suffer from the like putting it in and hearing that song every time type thing i love it but i i if i'm looking at the rest of this album um you know i i I can totally see that i can relate to that i i feel like that song in almost norwegian wood could almost be in that same category they're just so fucking good songs i almost never get tired of them yeah what's funny about this is where the beatles go lennon lennon kind of like heads in a direction with such a rougher edge than what Paul does that, but this album feels more to the sensibilities of Paul McCartney, even though it actually is pretty Lennon heavy when you look at it, but it's still, it's still this, like they're getting more experimental, but it's kind of contained within this, this uh, a little bit more tidy um, kind of aesthetic still. Well, I think the reason why these middle albums are so beloved is I think this was a time when Paul and John were still 
working as a unit to combine their songwriting styles. And I think it's, it's, I think these songs are hard to pull apart. And even the ones where you might, I'm not a a Beatleologist enough to say, yes, John singing this song, but Paul had a huge influence on it or Paul made this suggestion. And so I think that's why these middle albums are so beloved because they were still trying to work together and improve each other's songs where later on it becomes much more of that dichotomy of like Paul being like, I'm going to go write my song and John being like, I'm going to go write this song. That's why they were so, I mean, they're great songwriters individually, but they're best songwriters of all time when you put them together. Yeah. Later on, later on the gap between their sounds widens as cause they're kind of doing their own thing a little more. We can maybe um, talk some Rolling Stones soon, but I would be remiss if I didn't, if I, I'm, I'm putting my argumentative cap back on. Rapper Soul is, is almost disqualified in general for the song Run For Your Life. <laughs> it is a horrific song. John Lennon is telling his girlfriend or maybe soon to be wife that if you ever look at another man, you better run because I will kill you. You better run for your life if you can, little girl. Hide your head in the sand, little girl. Catch you with another man. This is not me digging at the subcontext of the song. It's literally what he says. As he's on record later on as saying this is his least favorite Beatles song ever and that he regrets that song, but man. So before before we transition over to Rolling Stones, I'll, this might be the spot where I cut in our our guest um, because he has he has he has some good stuff about Nowhere Man and just this album in general, and he'll uh, make his pick on which of these two albums he likes the best. So here he is. Okay, now's the part of the show where we get a third opinion um, to break up this argument. And I have Corey O'Flanagan on, who is the host of the Song Facts podcast. Hello, Corey. Hi. Okay, if you could only listen to the music of one of these two bands from the year 1965, which one would you choose and why? I love and I hate these questions. I ask these kinds of questions on my show to people all the time and I get... I, I love being in your position because I like to put people on the spot, but <laughs> I did. I was able to have the question b- brought before me for a while, so I was able to think about it a little bit, and then I went and listened to all the music. And we were kind of talking about this before we went on the air, but I think it's similar to 64. I, I think that it's got to be the Beatles, and I'll, I'll tell you why. I think the Stones are good, but they're just on the verge of discovering themselves and and what their sound is going to be coming up here for like the next decade as songwriters. Um, they're still mostly recording and releasing blues covers, only three original tracks on Stones number two, and then there's a couple more that I saw on the U.S. release Stones now. Um, and none of them are really standouts that I think that you'd probably hear them play. Obviously, if you go see them nowadays, it's it's just like, hit after hit after hit, and I don't think that you'd see one of those deep cuts, maybe, if you got lucky. Um, I love the covers that they did during this time, like Under the Boardwalk, I think is such a unique one with mixed voice, and then Can't Be Satisfied is just one of my favorite um, old blues tracks that, that they did really well. You Can't Take Anything Away From Satisfaction, that song was a springboard for them. I think it was their first major hit. There is just that that was just all over the radio from everything I've ever read about them in 1965. So that's a tough one to really, you can't take that away from them, but it just isn't 
getting to the level that the Beatles were at at that time. Um, the last thing that I'll say is that the the next song that they had that was a hit that they'd written was Get Off of My Cloud, which was good, but they kind of stole the riff from Louie Louie, and it wasn't... Yeah, it's 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 a good song. It's not a great song. I really like it, but it's not... They, they wrote that to like the press to be like, hey, get off of our back. We wrote Satisfaction. Give us some time to breathe here. And um, I guess funny, in a word, the way... Funny. The reason... Go ahead. It's funny that they have to even say that. They have like a mess of albums like around this time. It's like these bands are just putting out, out like several albums a year. And that's that's the thing that caught me off guard is I'm like, Jesus, man, these guys put out three full albums in 65. And I'm just, that's maddening. Or it's at least two. It might have been a third. I can't remember exactly. But, okay, now let me tell you why it's got to be the Beatles. Because in a word, experimentation um the beatles are just better at this time they're branching out of their kind of poppy love song phase in a major way um i don't know if you guys knew this but nowhere man was the first lennon mccartney song to not uh reflect upon a boy or a girl relationship um experimenting with things like they you know dylan introduced them to weed as they were touring in 64 and then they started dropping some acid around this time too so they're being heavily influenced by these types of things i mean you've got yesterday which if you want to just go song for song yesterday and satisfaction i think cancel each other out but then you've got hide your love away which is kind of lennon doing his best dylan impression um You've got the sitar of Norwegian wood that's just kind of showing that they're branching out musically and trying to experiment and do these different things in the studio. For me, Michelle is one of my favorite Beatles love songs, and it's I, 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 there's just the Stones just weren't doing something like that. They were in a pocket doing this bluesy thing, not really finding out what their sound is and the and the Beatles were starting to go off and do this yet. I think it was another year or two before the Stones really got there. And for me, like a song like Ticket to Ride, just so pleasing to the ear. And I love Ringo's drumming on it. So I've I've just gotta say that I can't take it away from the Beatles at this time. I think once we get another year or two down the road I'll be interested to hear what you guys come up with. But right now it's it's to me it's the Beatles. I'm glad you host a song facts podcast because that was some good fact. <laughs> I got That's at least that's the minimum I can do is have a couple of facts. That's what I got to stand by my name. That is awesome. Yeah. When you just look at the list of the music they put out this year and you see rubber soul on it, it's like, all right, I'm, I'm going to listen to all of this and think about it, but it's hard to beat that. It's so true. It, it really is. And that's, that's what I was saying is that it was kind of the soundtrack to my day to day as I was, getting ready to and, and really putting some thought into this and it was it was really nice to have and I was I love the bluesy stuff that the Stones do because I'm a huge fan of blues music so it's hard for me to say but when you look at it from a songwriting and a band perspective they were just going leaps and bounds the Beatles were at this time and the Stones were still a year or two away from doing that awesome well thank you for um joining us in this uh, little argument exercise we got going on Justin, thanks so much, man. I really appreciate it. And I love what you guys are doing. Way cool. Thanks, Corey. Uh, where can people find you? Um, go to uh, songfacts.com and find us on there. The podcast is on there. And then you click on the podcast. We write a blog for every one of them, too. And then you can find all the information to find me 
whatever I'm doing on there. That's that's the easiest way. Excellent. Take care. Thanks, man. I've got a feeling. A feeling deep the song Hitchhike, which is the second song on Out of Our Heads, has the exact, literally the exact same uh, opening riff as the song There She Goes by the Velvet Underground. I don't know if Lou Reed just ripped that off or if that's some kind of old blues riff that I'm not familiar with. Hitchhike is written by Marvin Gaye, Clarence Paul, William Mickey Stevenson. Yeah, so I'm thinking that it's definitely Lou Reed ripping off someone else, um, which is his prerogative. Anyways, that's my my Velvet Underground digression. Yeah, that's because you've you've uh, pushed so much Velvet Underground into that brain of yours. It's it's yeah. all lodged in there. So like next year, the Rolling Stones put out one album, and it's Aftermath, and it feels very all like it feels very Rolling Stonesy at that point. Something that tripped me out, and I don't know how widely known this is, but I was like, like you start to see Jagger and Richards in a lot of spots on it, and then um, I came upon the name, I came upon the name Nanker Felge. Have you heard of that? <laughs> no. So so That's listed. It's a great as- name. So listed as songwriter, as a songwriter on some, honestly, some of the best songs, like the songwriter for the under, so the under assistant West Coast promotion man, which is kind of a, just a jammy little thing, uh-huh. but then play with fire, which is a solid song. Oh yeah. But don't play with me cause you're playing with fire. Those are written by Nanker Felge. Nanker Felge, I'll just read this was a collective pseudonym used between 1963 and 1965 for several Rolling Stones group compositions. Stones bassist Bill Wyman explained the origins of the name in his 2002 book. Brian Jones suggested crediting it to Nanker Felge and the entire band would share writing royalties. Felge came from Edith Grove flat mage Jimmy Felge, while Nanker was a nickname for a revolting face the band members, Brian in particular, would pull. (laughs) <laughs> so so there's there's actually more songs written by the band when you tally that when you read them like one of them i think is, i don't believe you bill wyman i think that there was a nanker felge and uh they stole credit from him to me it makes sense when you hear like play with fire honestly some of these ones that are credited to nanker felge which we'll play right here um are some of the best ones like i i genuinely think that i don't know i think you, you could have set this band looser on just making all their own music even sooner I, I think if you had told me, and I think this is a huge credit to this album and some of these songs, if you told me that Play With Fire was written by someone that wasn't in the Rolling Stones, I would have, I would have argued with you. Yeah. That, sounds... And that, that's, that's what's so great about I wouldn't say they're like fully a package yet, but you can, you can play a lot of these songs next to any of their songs in their whole catalog, and you're like, yep, yeah, this, this is consistent. This is the Rolling Stones sound realized and delivered um it's maybe not you know entirely like a full album all the way through of of that sound but it's it's fucking here and and when it's on it's as good as any of those beatles songs maybe the album isn't but some of the songs are yeah yeah um something we talked about uh, i can't remember if we said this 
on air or off, but I'm just really glad to not have like, it's the equivalent of having like 10, like 20 uh, tabs open on my browser window. When you put, when they put out all these releases. Yeah. We talked about the, the British releases and the American mm-hmm. releases at the beginning. Uh, very excited to be done with that. This was a song originally written by so-and-so, but popularized by so-and-so, but then the most famous version was by so-and-so. And, um, I'm happy to be moving into a phase where we can confidently say, this is the Beatles song. This is a Rolling Stones song. Um, And I'm confident that we live in a time where that's not that, that sort of confusing songwriter musician dichotomy doesn't exist anymore. Well, I mean, the biggest pop people, the pop artists in the world might have like seven contributing songwriters now. Like it's in, in, it's in a true. different, in a different way. It's less of like, we took this and, and we're doing our cover of it and we're going to make it famous, but it's more of like, a, here's a team of people who professionally write songs and they're from like Sweden and stuff. And they're gonna like, gonna <laughs> why are they from Sweden? I read some article about like, these, I think like Max Martin, who wrote like a bunch of like the pop songs from like the like last 15, 20 years. There's like this massive like movement of like these super efficient pop songwriters from Sweden. Sad thing is it might actually be Switzerland and I'm going to get canceled <laughs> again if I'm wrong on that. But uh, it's something that starts with an S and a W. It's Sweden. Swahili. Um, Where's ABBA from? ABBA's from Sweden. It's Sweden, okay. and 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 it's uh, Abba. Abba. Abba's like the ultimate. Like uh-huh. these kids could write an a hook that can like send you up to heaven, right? And that's I, in that in that tradition. Super immaculate pop music. I guess I'm sure those people are good at what they do, and the fact that I don't even know who they are speaks to how good they are at like being. But it feels more like a production line, like a factory. Oh, it is plug and play. Whereas there used to be. You know, the in the late 60s, you have a lot of examples of people like James Taylor or Neil Diamond or um, Jackson Brown. People who were songwriters and wrote songs for other people and then were like, fuck this, I can be my own musician because they were such great songwriters. And uh, that doesn't quite feel like what's happening now. No, it's, it's, a, it's a different thing. Uh, all right, I want to go, I want to like probe into like a, some childhood trauma that I went through. You cool with that? Please do. I'm, I'm so here for that. Okay. So I was like a, I was like a kid who would watch all of the VH1 behind the musics and all of the, all of the sort of, all of the sort of like MTV VH1. I'm a bit of a sucker for like things being laid out in list form. I just, Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily even proud of it, but it just, it grabs my brain and and I do it. So VH1 in the nineties did like a, uh, best 100 rock songs of all time where they kind of went, I think they did it over a couple nights, but they reran sections of it and everything like that. But I, I mean, I kind of hung on to this thing and I, I watched it and I'm, I'm talking, I don't even know if I'm a teenager. I, I really can't remember, but my God, I vividly remember in this countdown, like I kind of expect, even though like I wouldn't make stairway to heaven, my number one, I kind of like, Oh, maybe it'll be stairway to heaven. Right. It's going to be, the Beatles, and I remember at the moment, like I'd heard enough Beatles to know, like, oh, they're they're like 
they would they would win this if it was about band but what's the one song i'm not really sure and uh-huh. all this builds up to the number one rock song in the world being named as satisfaction i get how it ends up being named number one on that it's a sweet riff this is a really good song i'm gonna sound like i'm disparaging satisfaction it is a good song it is a cool rock and roll song i get how it's like a real launching point for them which is exactly what it is um, nothing's the same for the rolling stones after after satisfaction but really number one rock and roll song of all time i i mean i'm gonna go one step further i'm gonna disparage satisfaction i'm a huge rolling stones fan there are so many of their songs that i i hold really really close to my heart i i feel like they have 10 or 15 songs 20 songs that are better than satisfaction Sounds like when like there are like five movies nominated for an Oscar and they're all little like a few of them are all kind of weird or whatever and then the one that is just least uh, let me abandon that thought like <laughs> I know that, what you mean like what I what I would guess is okay I don't know how they tallied this up but like say they got a lot of people voting satisfaction might have been up on a lot of people's lists and it was up on so many people's lists that when you like tally up everything by weight it becomes number one even Mm -hmm. though no one would say it's their number one favorite rock song of all time something like that like yeah like in which which in doing that you end up with like a safe pick because that riff regardless how you feel about it i I could see how it's infectious or how if i like i'm just driving in my car and it comes up on my radio it's like boom that's literally a line from the song Before I leave this list behind, um, so number two is Aretha Franklin. Respect. I mean, I, I go good with it, I guess. I, guess. I'll, I won't. I won't list all these out, but um, it's really, it's really an abomination. Number seven. <laughs> number seven is the Doors. Light my fire. Um, number eight is the Beach Boys. Good vibrations. Like, how's that even? Uh, wow. Well, that's not the song. I, dis- I disagree, actually. I, that's well, not the song. This is why these lists are impossible, and this is why they're created, is to argue with. I, I you know, if you told me Good Vibrations was the number one rock and roll song of all time, I, I would be okay with that. For me personally, but, you know, it's all subjective, and, and that, song, that song does tickle me, tickle my brainstem in a way that I, I can't get no satisfaction doesn't. So... Yeah. I, I don't know that that that's is, this is why we're endlessly fascinated with lists is because they prepare us for arguments and that's why we embarked on this podcast it's true um the top Beatles song on there number nine is hey jude and immediately followed up by john lennon's imagine <laughs> oh see <laughs> and, then, those and, lists then, are... and then you know what that's followed by which is kind of funny number 11 on this is louie louie which a cool little uh tie back to satisfaction is that the Rolling Stones pretty quickly made "Get Off of My Cloud" as a mm-hmm. as like a as like a holy shit satisfaction has blown up and we need another hit. So they make "Get Off of My Cloud." Actually, this is I'm I'm I the only reason I know this is because of uh, our uh, song facts guest. So he already said this to you. You don't need to listen to me right now. Um, <laughs> but it's but it's basically the Louis no, Louis, but the, the Louis Louis. Riff. The, I mean, it, that's funny because I didn't know that, and I and I I wrote down in my notes for this, um, which. I just wrote down get off my cloud equals Sam and Dave plus Wooly Bully, which is really, 
like recipe for that song. It's like Wooly Bully or Louie Louie, which are pretty, you know, I, I not exactly the same riff, but the same, you know, category of song. Plus that like Sam and Dave uh, call and response. Hey, hey, you, you. So, um, dude, it's I, I, so good. I, it's I, th- like, I kind of love that they can just take a kind of template and then just put, just lay so much Rolling Stones stank on top of it. They're like chefs that are learning how, like, okay, you can make a dish and have five different ingredients and like taste five ingredients but can you meld those ingredients together to make like a different taste or or a better taste and i feel like this is the era where they are figuring out how they do that for themselves and even in the later years even when you get to like something like exile you know they're still wearing those influences and and things on their sleeve but they're just so good at taking them and, and putting their own stamp on them yeah well, before we wind this down, some songs that I absolutely love from from this period of the Rolling Stones is I love The Last Time. I love Spider to a Fly, which is the Rolling Stones basically writing their own original song with uh, kind of in the tradition of all the other stuff they'd been covering up to that point, but just doing it super well. Play with Fire, um, Get Off My Cloud, like I just said. It's all super good. Do we know there's a couple live songs on these two albums on Out of Our Heads and December's Children? Are those real screams? Maybe the ones they have on here that are live are maybe not the the best songs on the album, but they do a great job of of showing that energy and really that kind of punk attitude that predates punk that they were bringing to those things. But something about either the mix or the audio, the the cheering sounds a little canned to me. <laughs> they're they're piping in some crowd noise. It's what it sounds like to me. It's like um, what they're doing. It's like the the earliest version of what they're doing in these empty stadiums during uh, our the novel coronavirus pandemic. I do have. I do want to call out a couple other songs on on out of our heads. I really like Mercy Mercy, the the opening song. Uh, their cover of Otis Redding's "That's How Strong My Love Is" is uh, one of me and my wife's three songs. We don't we don't have like a definitive song, but that's one of our three hour songs that we like dance to still around that's how strong my love is baby that's how strong my love is that's how strong my love is did you before we shut this down did you uh did you slip into like a, a sadness my life is a lie type thing after trying to go hard against the beatles uh last week and you're just like i just can't do this to myself again I can totally create a separate persona that can argue against anything and everything that I hold dear. So it's no problem for me to turn that on and off at this flip of a switch. You you, you mentioned uh, Joey Gallo earlier. Maybe that was off mic. I don't know, but (laughs) Texas, Texas, beefy Texas baseball player who either hits home runs or strikes out. And uh, an interesting like conversation I had with a friend by text as I was talking about doing this, this uh, show was like, the Rolling Stones have this like pre prime period and this post prime period where it's, it's like, I would, you're they're, none of them. They're not strikeouts. Maybe some of the later ones are, but they are, you got to really work hard to try and argue that they're like classic albums or whatever. Whereas the Beatles kind of have 
an eight year, seven year, however many years that is run of like straight, like Tony Gwynn average, like they're yeah. every single thing is, is clicking. Every single thing's working. They're doing different things. Like the, the mode that they're in changes kind of significantly, but I, I will say this. I will say this, that um, if I wanted to mount a serious argument against Rubber Soul, um, would be that I took the time to sit down and listen to it and really enjoy it and the craftsmanship and the songwriting. Um, but if I'm having a party, I'm putting out of our heads on. I'm not putting Rubber Soul on. Um, and I think there's something to be said for that. Yeah, I think I think if you're having a party, you could shuffle all of the 63, 64, 65 Rolling Stones content and be good to go. And And I also think that there are songs on Out of Our Heads that are maybe, maybe, not quite as good as the very very best of those Beatles songs but th there is good there's there's three or four songs on this album that I think are just as good as as a lot of the songs on Rubber Soul they don't have that um they, they, they don't have that uh polish that the Beatles have been developing um but they they definitely um get you up and get you moving yeah what's cool what's cool about this spot for the Beatles is that the Beatles still have that polish but it's a it's the polish that existed in 63 and 64 on those albums is now tinged with some it's tinged with the equivalent of John Lennon taking a big like inhale before he sings the next thing on on a hot mic and that's that's they they're about to do all kinds of shit like that okay well i know we're about to wrap this podcast up but i feel like i have another question that i want to ask you which is that so this this Rolling Stones, these two Rolling Stones album, firmly easily described as rock and roll. You you would lose no sleep over telling someone, yeah, this is a rock. What genre would you consider Rubber Soul? Because I don't think it fits neatly into. I'm sure again, going back to 1965, Dad throwing throwing the shit in the fireplace. Like I'm sure he would call it rock and roll, and maybe that's what. It, but I don't, I wouldn't put it in the same category as these Rolling Stones album. And I'm curious if, if you feel the same or if you would just call it rock and roll and move on. Uh, I don't, I don't know what else you do call it. Like that's, it's, I mean, obviously I think a, you can, a distinction between these two bands kind of across the board is the Rolling Stones a little, feel a little more classic rock and roll like, um, but I don't know. There, there was no such thing as like indie music or whatever back then. I don't, I don't know what other moniker there is for it. Maybe pop, it's pop. Just it's just Beatles. pop. Yeah, pop rock. I guess so they're definitely moving away from those sort of Chuck Berry riffs. I think. No, totally. Yeah, for sure. Well, Ryan, that was fun. I'll see you in 1966. See you in 66, baby. Well, baby, 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 you're